Tune in weekly and listen to the Collateral Damage Podcast, where Michael Wilson and Maureen Kavanaugh host a variety of special guests to discuss topics and available services that will help you learn about the impact that substance use has on our lives, our families, and on our communities nationwide. Episodes and listening information can be found at www.cdpodcast.com. You can also search for Collateral Damage Podcast on your favorite listening platforms or watch previous and future episodes on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Uh, Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Collateral Damage. Uh, My name is Mike Wilson, and as you can tell, I have a sore throat, so enjoy that. Um, (laughs) I'm here with my co-host, Maureen Kavanaugh. I'm going to get to talk, huh? You are. You're going to get to talk a lot today. It's going to be good um, because I'm going to shut up and let all this happen. And then, uh, so we have a special guest here today, Nikki Bell from Lyft, uh, Living in Freedom Together. And we're going to learn all about that. And um, so, Nikki, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate that. And um, I was hoping maybe we could just start off by uh, giving you an opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, your organization and how it came to be. Um, And then obviously Maureen and I have some questions about uh, what's happening. So please feel free to start from the beginning and help our listeners understand what it is that you do. Awesome. So um, I am a person in long-term recovery, which for me means I haven't used drugs or alcohol since May 5th of 2014. And nice. I'm also a survivor of many forms of gender-based violence, um, including prostitution and sex trafficking. And so when I exited the life um, almost six years ago, there was really not support for women like myself. Um, And it's interesting because within the recovery community, it's kind of like almost known that like, you know, a lot of women are forced to exchange sex for drugs, money, or a place to stay throughout their addiction, yet there's no services or support offered um, for women like myself. Hmm. And so that's how Lyft actually began, um, was as a support group for women like myself, you know? and it started as a way to support myself. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I think we talk about multiple paths to recovery. And I think social justice work for a lot of us can become a pathway to recovery. And for me, that, that is where my healing and the beginning of Lyft um, came to be. And so we started as a support group um, and very quickly realized that women that were involved in prostitution and that had substance use disorder weren't gonna to come to a support group no matter how much pizza we offered them, right? Um, they were like stuck like on the block, um, couldn't leave. And so we partnered with another organization called the Woo Church and they started letting us use their space for a couple hours a week and just inviting um, substance dependent prostituted women in to have a safe place to be, a cup of coffee, some clean clothes. Um, and that is how Lyft initially started. Um, I will say five years later, um, you know, we have grown significantly. Um, We now continue to have the drop-in center um, where survivors have access to harm reduction resources, needles, Narcan, bleach kits, clothes, but most importantly, they have access to a survivor mentor and advocate that can help them start beginning to think about what the exiting process looks like for them, right? and we have um, a diversion program with our district attorney's office so it's pre-arraignment so any woman that is arrested for a prostitution related offense um, will not be arraigned on that charge they'll be diverted into like low barrier services with us Um, and we actually just opened on in october 
the first survivor-led um, recovery home for prostituted women with co-occurring mental health and substance use disorders. Um, and that program is called Drama's Place, and it's a 16-bed residential program. That's amazing. It's, I mean, she's Thank like you. one of my favorite people. She so really where, where are you located? So we're in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, so that's where the house and our drop-in center are located. And we do do some work in Western Mass as well um, with the correctional facility. I forgot to mention we're also a funded program within um, Camden County Women's Correctional Center. So we do a lot of work with women that are incarcerated, helping them provide reentry supports and kind of normalizing the conversation around prostitution within the correctional setting. So this is comparable to a uh, diversion program for addiction where, you know, individuals um, who are, um, you know, struggling with substance use and facing, you know, we'll call them misdemeanors and, and, and other offenses, they're offered an opportunity for diversion where they can go in, receive some care, and hopefully get them back on their feet, right? So this is comparable to that? Yeah, so it's comparable to that. The, the beautiful thing, though, is ours is pre-arraignment, um, which um, is what actually triggers your criminal record. So if you're arrested but never arraigned on a charge, it will never appear on your record, right? Yeah. Um, and most diversion programs, including drug courts, are post-arraignment, so they arraign them on those charges um, and then later dismiss them, which then leads you to have to go through that process of clearing your criminal record and things like that. So that would, I, I see a little bit of the difference. And for us, we recognize um, exiting prostitution and recovery from substance use disorder. It's a process, not an event, right? right and yeah. so like, we've made it really low barrier. Like um, some of the requirements are to have a substance use evaluation, not actually remain drug and alcohol free, but just have the evaluation, right? Um, to create an exit plan, not actually enact that exit plan, but just start to think about what necessary relevant community resources you, you need to get out of the life, right? Um, and what we find is that once women start coming in and talking about these things and, and feel like they have a support network is when they start asking us for referrals to treatment and, and getting the help that they need, right? Wow, that's huge. So now it sounds like you have a continuum of care that, you know, through the diversionary program and then on into uh, Jana's house, was it? Yep, Jana's yep. place, yep. Uh, Jana's place that, you know, the goal is to get them out of the life, right? Because it is a life. It's a, You know, you can get sucked into it as not just a, a way to uh, um, get substances and such, but, you know, it becomes a way of life for some people to, to survive. So drawing them out of that, I imagine there's a, you know, a, a recommended length of stay in this program that it's, you know, you come in and... Mm -hmm if you want it and you start and you're going to stay and actually try to change things that what would be a stay at Janice's place? Are we talking about months, six months or? So uh, it is insurance based. It's the highest level of care that the Bureau of Substance Addiction Services actually provides at this point. Um, okay. It's co-occurring in this. So it's for um, women with uh, mental, like significant uh, moderate to severe mental illness and substance use disorder. You know, we're looking at it as like, you know, the substance use for the majority of our participants is a coping mechanism to, to navigate trauma, just like we, we know, like yeah. most substance stems from trauma, right? Um, and so for us, it's like using a trauma-informed care uh, model. Um, and so it's insurance-based, so the stay can be anywhere from three months up to a year, depending upon, you know, how significant people's um, challenges are. 
Um, and we're also now working with uh, another local organization to try to secure um, some single room occupancies that will be um, supplemented with case management and support from a survivor mentor um, post Janice Place. So we work with women while they're on the street, we work with women while they're in jail, we work with them when they're in Janice Place, we work with, you know, so it's like creating that like community, right? Is yeah. really what it's about. Um, is, it, is there an alumni, um, have you built up like an alumni network of people who have gone through this and have been, you know, because I know for me, as a person in recovery, seeing other people who had recovered was, it was one of the reasons I decided to, to actually go forward with it, you know, was seeing somebody else that had been as bad as I was now living a different version of life now free from the, the chains that I had been wrapped up in. So the alumni part of it is, is critical. Have you been able to build that culture out in Worcester? Yeah, so the incredible piece of it is um, over 75% of our staff are people with lived experience, um, both in surviving prostitution and um, in recovery from substance use disorder. And many of our staff actually began as participants and are now like in leadership roles, developing programming, running Janice Place. I mean, it's really kind of incredible to see, you know, like bring women, you know, um, bring women through it, right? Um, and, and employ them. Because the reality is, right, we talk all the time about like helping people, you know, recover from substance use disorder or help women get out of prostitution. And you know how we do that? By employing them, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're just out there trying to make money, right? It's a job. So, you know, you don't want them to have that job. You've got to give them another job, another way to survive, right? Yeah. And that's part of the challenge is like we look at prostitution and that's part of the work that we do at Lyft is like shifting that cultural like view, right? Like so many people think of prostitution as a job like any other, or this is just a means to survive, or it's the world's oldest profession, right? The reality is it's the world's oldest oppression, right? And it's yeah. actually violent. And so like watching women, like the reality is almost like we have not met one woman yet that has said to us like this is what i want to be doing like you know in fourth grade on career day this you know yeah. prostituted woman and like sold me on this dream and this was you know um they got there because they didn't have any other choices in life right yeah. so it's helping them find other options and choices right um and and building on those skills that they have yeah so I've seen, I think you recently have come out against, I know there's a whole contingent of people that said that, I, I, they're probably not that large of a contingent, but there's a group of people that think that this should be legalized and that, the, that you know, that it is just a job and, and they're women too, which kind of shocked me. Like I, I know that there's some men recently in the news that um, have been involved in, um, have been arrested for um, soliciting a prostitute and, um, nothing seems to happen to them. Right. Can I mention? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, I know that'll make some people mad that they're- Well, if you say the right one, we can throw a hashtag in there. Maybe we'll get more listeners. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> is, it, is it Belichick or? No, it was the owner. It was the owner. Kraft, Robert yeah. Kraft. Yeah. I, I, try, I try to drive his name out of my head. Yeah. But every time I see him, I want to like, I, I just, my head wants to blow off. The fact that that this is okay. We've kind of made it that it's okay. And then there's, mm -hmm. you know, these groups that have come out saying they, they, you know, they want the laws changed and stuff. And I've heard you say mm -hmm. little things, but I'd love you to speak to that. Yeah. So I think we have this idea that like 
you know, people people frame like full decriminalization or legalization of, of prostitution as a way to make it safer for people in the life. But the reality is there's this like percentage of men, right, that say that the only reason that they don't buy sex is because it's illegal, right? And so what happens when we remove that criminal penalty is this additional group of men that wouldn't buy sex because it was illegal now flood the market, right? There aren't enough willing participants to meet that increased demand, right? So who fills that vacuum is trafficking victims, young women, kids, um, girls that are vulnerable due to substance use disorder. We see uh, substance dependent women preyed upon all the time, right? Um, and so it doesn't actually make it safer. We've seen other countries do this. It actually makes it much worse. Violence against women grows up, murders of prostitutes, women increase, you know, all of this, right? And it's like, here we are, right? Like I'm in full support of decriminalizing for the exploited person. So I believe that prostituted women should not be charged for their own exploitation, right? The reality is many of them have somebody that's forcing them into, into prostitution. Many of them entered prostitution. Average age of entry into prostitution is 14 to 16 years old. So people are being sued for sex before they're even old enough to have consent to having sex, right? Um, yeah, we criminalize them, right? I think they need to be offered a way out, right? But I do think the people that have the choice in this in this equation, right, are the men that are paying to access vulnerable women's bodies, right? Like, sex is not a need or a human right, right? They can take their money, put it back in their pocket, and go home and take care of themselves, right? They don't have to harm vulnerable women in the process, right? Um, and so when we talk about full decriminalization, what people don't realize is we're talking about legalizing pimping, brothel keeping, pimps become managers, right? Brothels, you know, and so it's like, and, and so where do we draw that line, right? And it's like, we have this very small percentage of people saying like, this is what I wanna be doing and I'm choosing to do, right? But it's a really privileged choice to choose prostitution. And most of us enter prostitution because we don't have a choice. And so when we create legislation, create legislation to protect our most like vulnerable and marginalized, right? Which are people in prostitution that don't have a choice. Not for the few that are like, oh, this is what I love to do. And it's like, you know, they're doing cam work where they don't actually have to like, you know, touch men or like be involved with them, right? Like they're not experiencing the daily harm of having your body violated over and over and over again, right? And which is where the substances get tied into it, right? I mean, I have a, another survivor I work with, um, Autumn Barris, that says that substances were the only way she stayed alive during prostitution because if she had to be present for the daily violations that like occurred, um, she would have had a mental, she would have jumped out a window, right? She would have, she would have killed herself because it's, it's too much for your like mind to handle, you know? Right. You know, I, I I'm curious. I know, um, <clears throat> when we talk about legalization on things, you know, like, let's just say with substances, I mean, if we take the, the human element out of it and we say that we want to, we want to legalize substances, which is a movement that I've heard about, you know, a lot of DEA officials, ex-FBI, stuff like that. People have been fighting the drug war for however many decades. They're exhausted and fed up, and their new suggestion is legalization and regulation, right? That, you know, we've been trying a prohibitionary approach towards something for so long without results that, you know, we've created 
the mob, we've created drug dealers, we've created a subculture mm -hmm. or a dangerous element to substance use, which is that mm -hmm. any 14 or 15 year old kid can become a young entrepreneur by getting a bag of a large amount of what everybody wants and then selling it so they can do it for free. Now you're a drug dealer, you know, that there's this uh, capitalist approach towards substances because there's no regulation or legalization and nobody's paying attention mm -hmm. to it. And that if it was legalized and if it was regulated, that, you know, you can't really compete with 7-Eleven. You know, you can't compete with the mm -hmm. liquor store. You don't see kids selling bootleg liquor at school. You know what I mean? You don't see them selling cigarettes. You see them, you know, selling drugs. That's, that's what you can become an mm -hmm. entrepreneur on. And, you know, the question that you just posed, and I saw a post about this the other day too, of, uh, you know, a, a large movement to, was, was it legalized or decriminalized? Do you know? So, so there's two, so there's a, there was a, so there's two different things happening. So like there's legalized prostitution, which is, is separate from decriminalization. Right. Decriminalization means it removes criminal penalties right, for buyers, for traffickers, for brothel owners, for the prostituted women, um, which makes it really difficult because there's no regulation in it, right? right? Not that, you know, I'll, I, I can talk about what regulated prostitution looks like too, which is also horrific, right? right. But, um, and I, and I hear what you're saying, but the reality is, like when you say, like if we remove the human element, well, no, I, I, the human yeah, no, I wasn't yeah. implying that we should. I just I was trying to come up with a comparable scenario of legalization and decriminalization, and then like, you know, mm -hmm. when you add the human element back in, it's like, you know, you you would have to, in order to decriminalize or legalize, you would literally have to create licensure, regulation, state and/or federal mm -hmm. oversight um, and laws, and it would probably take you know, decades or generations before there was any type of, you know, uh, reasonable balance met. But again, there's still the human element of why people are engaging in that service and, you know, at what age and so on and so forth. Do you, do you deal with uh, boys as well? I know that um, we've talked about women, but boys are also brought into this at a young age. Yeah. Um, in different parts. Yeah. So we know that. So I, I will say that, you know, um, boys are exploited as well. Like, um, and when we're looking at this through like the gender-based lens, the reason I, I refer to it as gender-based violence, because irregardless of who the victim is, right, it's men that are perpetrating this crime, right? Um, it's not women out paying for sex sure. with boys and, and, you know, or there's very few that are, um, right? So, and the reality is this is an issue that predominantly affects women and girls. Um, when we look around the world, we're not seeing brothels filled with boys and men, right? Like it's brothels filled with girls and women, right? Um, and so, yes, boys are exploited, um, especially like as kids. Like we're looking at that as like a specific vulnerability. Any child is, is susceptible to exploitation. Um, just the fact of being a kid is a vulnerability, right? right. Um, and especially like the LGBTQIA community, you know, they have less social supports in the community that puts another target on their back, right? Um, it's, you know, this, this trafficking culture gives them a sense of belonging and family, right? Um, and so, yes, um, boys are exploited as well and men, um, but this is like predominantly an issue that is, is affecting women and girls. Are you seeing like the need to add in an element for young boys in your, or, or men in your um, organization, like support for them? Do you see that out there? Cause I mean, there's with the gangs, I know that um, out in uh, New Jersey, we saw a lot of the gangs uh, grabbing onto uh, young gay males and then pimping them out. 
because yeah. it's a it's a, a monetary option. Like it's 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 lucrative, you know. And so they're they're grabbing them and doing that. And I imagine Worcester may have some of that going on as well, right? Yeah, and I think you know when we're talking about you know traffickers, so like you know their goal is to like diversify their portfolio. When we're talking about it and like simplify. Simplified terms. So they want to have women of color, white women, boys, transgender, right? So like they, so like whatever the market calls for, they're able to supply that, right? Because again, traffickers aren't viewing these people as human beings; they're viewing them as a dollar sign, right? Yeah. Um, so yes, I think there's a need, but I also think there's different barriers to boys accessing services and support, right? And I think that you know. Um, there needs to be spaces created for boys and men to, to seek support. But I also think boys and men need to step up and create those services and support. Um, and so it's okay to create gender specific spaces for like women that have been violated by men um, over and over and over again, right? Um, and so I think that yes, um, there needs to be support. We have supported boys, we have supported transgender individuals. Um, we don't turn anybody away that's been exploited. Um, but yeah, there needs to be those services. And, you know, I believe that people need to step in and create them. Um, at this point in time, it's not something that we're able to take on as well, you know. Um, do you see, I know that there was very little available for you, but do you see um, that there is more, there are more services? I know that there's a group down in the Cape, I think. But um, across, even across the country, do you see that this is starting to be something? Because I feel like um, people are talking about it more. I know I yeah. talk about it all the time because it affected my daughter. Mm -hmm. And it has affected a lot of the young women that I've worked with. And mm -hmm. I see them talking about it too. And they talk yeah. about it because they realize they were a victim of a crime mm -hmm. and they're not, you know, there's, I see some of the, some of the, like the shame that we've imposed on this uh, as a culture. I see some of it lifting and people starting to understand. And, um, and I'm, you know, and it's because of people like you and that make it, you know, so that people can talk about this young women can talk about it. And, um, and probably just because it's so common. You know, this is what, I mean, of the, the girls I work with, I can't think of anybody that wasn't involved in prostitution along the way. You know, by the time they come to me, they've, they've almost all of them have been in some form, like you said, housing or, or, you know, it may not just be for drug money, but yeah, it's, it may not just be that, or it may not be that, but it's, they've had to stay with somebody because they were, I had no place to live. So yeah. it's all, it's all the same thing, you know, it's just different versions of the same thing. Mm. Yeah. Do you yeah. see that starting, like it's, do you feel like it's starting to lift that stigma? Sometimes, yes. And then, you know, I do see a lot of like more women beginning to speak out about it and starting, you know, like this, this is something that happened to me, not something that I am, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is due to a lot of like the community education work that groups like myself, there's another group in Boston, that's a survivor-led organization, the Ava Center, who I adore, oh, yes, um, yeah. that, you know, is, is doing really incredible work. Um, and so I think people are starting to, it's funny because it's still something within substance use treatment though that people don't talk about, um, which is like frustrating to me because it's like, you know, even at the jail in Hamden County, it's like we've developed like screening questions so that 
people like the, the conversation's just been normalized there. So people are comfortable talking about it because it's it's just part of the conversation, right? Like we are we're having groups around it, you know, the the shame's kind of been lifted. And it's almost like within treatment sometimes it becomes um you know, we're here to address your substance use. We'll get to that later. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. Right? Right. Like, yeah. you're right here, right? Like, and the only thing, way you know how to cope with that is to use substances, right? That, that they have to be addressed coincidingly. Absolutely. But I do see more women speaking out saying like, yes, this is something that happened to me and I survived it, right? Um, and taking their power back. And I think a lot of this is you know, part of this movement, like this Me Too movement, but I also feel like prostitution's been kind of left out of that narrative, right? Um, it's almost like this other group of women that kind of deserve the violence that they've experienced, right? Or what did you expect? I mean, even in like criminal cases where like, the, you, know, the, you know, they're prosecuting traffickers, it's really about the prosecuted woman's action. Right. Uh, and like, yeah. her, well, we both like, know that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So yeah. frustrating because yeah. it's like, regardless of what she was doing before or after, or like, it, like that doesn't give somebody the right to step in and exploit somebody's situation and vulnerability. Right. Absolutely. Um, and we're seeing that happen more and more and more frequently, especially when you leave no, you, you don't provide any services. Yeah. You know, there's no way out yet. You, you're, yeah. you know, you're, I don't know. This is, it's so Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And we don't, we don't provide them services. And even, you know, like recently we were talking with like the people from over about like, let's train their safe plan advocates. Let's train, um, you know, the DA victim witness advocates. So they have a better understanding of like the services and support that these, that these girls need. Right. Um, because if you like put them, you know, even in just God, regular sexual assault cases, what the victim is put through, right? Like, and then you, you put on top of that, that prostitution was involved. It's like, we automatically blame the woman, right? Um, like she somehow chose this, right? right. And so like, the services or support they're offered are very, very limited and they're put through the ringer and then offered nothing yeah. on the other side. And it's like really, like really disheartening. We've got a lot of work to do there. Yeah. So what are some of the other barriers that you've run into in, in trying to grow and expand your services? I mean, it sounds like you were able to get insurance to cover, um, you know, a portion of the treatment, which is fantastic. And you've been able to get the courts to um, align with you for this, uh, you know, pre-arraignment diversionary option. Uh, have you run into other yeah. barriers that you're still trying to fight and, and push through? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think six months to nine months isn't enough time. I mean, we're talking about people that have been involved in prostitution since they've, you know, like 14, 16 years old, right? Don't have any formal education, don't have any job skills, right? And so it's like, we're talking about like, you know, like people, I think, assume that like, you know, I, I got out of the life when I was 33 years old, right? It was, you know, I, I didn't know how to write a check. I didn't know how to do any of those things, right? And it's like things people take for granted, you know? And I always tell the story to the girls about the first time I had to write a check for my son's daycare and they sent it back to me because I had wrote, wrote um, his name where I was supposed to sign my name. And they sent it back like, oh, and I was like, I laughed it off and was like, oh, huh, I didn't have enough coffee this morning. The reality was I had never written a check and nobody had ever taught me to do that. Right. And so it's like you're thinking about like setting people up to be able to succeed in life in those basic skills, grocery shopping, budgeting, writing a check, um, you know, finishing their high set, doing all of those things. Like 
you know, is six months enough time to do that? No, six, six months is probably enough time to, to start to teach people some grounding skills, right? right? So that they're not in this constant fight, 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 flight, freeze, like response, right? right. Like that's what six months gets us, right? Um, and then, you know, like we need specialized housing. I will say also, you know, we've run into a lot of barriers with like DCF and removing children um, of prostituted women um, because they view their lifestyle, you know, and then you combine the substance use and it's like, oh, they, they definitely shouldn't be parents, almost kind of attitude towards them, which has been really challenging and frustrating to try to um, navigate through because they're very quick to say, people under 18 are victims and it's like, you know, they blow out their birthday candles and turn 18 and all of a sudden it's like, you're a choice for taking your kids. Right. right. Um, and, and prostitution is a generational problem. Right. I, you know, it's like over 88% of people coming on a, you know, that are um, aging on a foster care end up in prostitution. And if that's not speaking to a broken system, I don't know. I don't know what is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to address some of those kinds of, uh, barriers um, and fixing these systems that are rendering like people vulnerable to exploitation, right? Because um, that's the reality. We are, as a society, this capitalistic, patriarch- like patriarchal, misogynistic society, we are rendering people, you know, vulnerable to exploitation is what's happening. Mm. It's awful. It's awful. I, I mean, I, as, a, as a person in recovery, I know that, um, <clears throat> you know, when I speak out about my my addiction, when I write a book about my addiction and I talk about how proud I, proud I am to get to the other side of that, um, you know, I think, I think people see that as a, an achievement, you know, that I was able to overcome addiction. I imagine there must be some stigma for these women who are coming out of this, you know, to speak openly about it, because I don't think people would see it the same way that they overcame prostitution. I feel like they're kind of left with a stamp, uh, maybe a little yeah. bit more so than some others, uh, because they yeah. see it as so much of like a choice, mm-hmm. like you chose that life. Like, at least addiction, we have the, the disease to get behind. Like it wasn't necessarily me. I got caught up. Um, and I think people yeah. see prostitution the same way, but it is. It's a, you know, you can get caught yeah. up in it as a, a part of the sickness and it can be tied in with your substance use and your mental health. And it's just part of the traumatic story that somebody is trying to escape from. And um, yeah. I, I hope that stigma is getting chipped away at, but I assume you must mm-hmm. see that with some of your alumni feeling comfortable speaking out in the community or speaking openly to yeah. draw individuals out of that life, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's great to like be able to watch like our girls like come through that and, and like kind of like own it as like, like, you know, and for a long time, I'll say like I blamed myself for ending up in prostitution. And now it's like I can look back and like look at my life and see that like a lot of things that happened in, in my childhood and, you know, with my mom being sick and my dad being gone kind of set me up to be, um, you know, out on that street corner and using substances, right? So it's like, you know, once you can kind of like own that yourself, it's like, you know, you don't feel um, so much shame about it, right? And right. then, you We're know, I think the I would imagine from- too. Hmm? Or trapped by it, I would imagine too, that you can't, yeah. that you, you yeah. can't leave. This is who you are. It's not who you are. It's the yeah. thing that, that occurred and brought you to where you are. And it's funny because that was like the shift for me. And then like, you know, I was at a con, my first conference I ever went to and I heard um, somebody use the term prostitute, like I was a prostituted woman. Um, I was not a prostitute. And it was like this, I had to like literally step outside the conference. I was like, and 
like Minnesota or something. And I like went outside and cried because it was this moment of like, wow, that's not who I am. That's something that happened to me. Right. And that was that moment for me that was like really okay. Like, you know, um, and being able to shift away from like, like, you know, wearing that everywhere I went, you know? Um, and I will say, you know, that though I speak freely about it and openly about it, like, you know, I, I do still speak with the women and, and, and the reality is it stays with you forever. It affects the way I parent. It affects my relationship with my husband. It affects, you know what I mean? Because it's insidious, right? And it's like when you're told for so long that this is all like, I, you know, I was told forever that the only worth I had in this world was my body, right? And trying to constantly remind myself that's not true. That's not who I am. But I, right, like, it's constant, right? Um, it doesn't ever go away. And it's something that I'll probably be talking to myself about forever, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does, it does. I mean, so does addiction, you know, it's weighing on us forever. Like, we're forever changed by the experiences we have. And, you know, we carry that, um, you know, that strength and character from overcoming it into all things that we do, but we're still human beings. And I still feel, I still feel bad about the stuff I did. I still question myself. Yeah. I still, you know, fear whether or not I'm good enough. And, and I mean, we all carry that weight. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, again, I don't know enough about that industry. I've never participated in it from one side or the other. So I don't know, but, you know, it sounds like this is a part of, you know, a, a, an addiction recovery story that most people don't talk about, mm. which is how to heal from yeah. those other things that are happening, like the trauma, the compound of trauma that we're adding on and layering over and over and over again while we're out there trying to survive our addiction. And, and I'm like amazed that this exists and, and happy to be able to add this to a resource that I could offer to somebody that's going through it. And now you're in uh, Worcester, you said, correct? And yeah, now, Worcester, Massachusetts. Yeah. Do you, do you have... Um, hopes or expectations of expanding are you partnering with anyone else to add more services elsewhere that's our goal is to to build and i will say like the bureau of substance addiction services is like wants to create help us create a replicable model so that like other programs are, are implementing right. programs uh, and support around this because they do recognize that this is an issue um in women's treatment programs that's going unaddressed um you know our goal is to provide you know, this, this, you know, transitional housing and hopefully eventually long-term housing um, for people. Um, and again, it's like, you know, as somebody, you know, and, and, and this goes along with substance use too, it's like you feel so ostracized and marginalized from your own community right. that it's almost feeling finally accepted and, and welcome back into a community, right? And building that out, right? And then bridging that into our actual community, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's our, our goal is that, you know, these services are available, exit services are available to everyone, everyone, because the reality is exploitation is happening everywhere in our state, in our country, in our world. I mean, you know, um, it, it's, you know, it's, this is not a Worcester problem. Um, God, no, no, this is happening everywhere. You know, Nikki, I, I just wonder because, you know, this is, I would think a kind of a unique and, and groundbreaking kind of organization. So there's not a, there, even if there's, a, there's another you somewhere, you know, in California, there's probably not a lot of you. <laughs> so uh, if somebody is going through, um, is, is going through, um, 
either their family, you know, is help is like maybe they're in recovery and your the family's starting to realize that their that their child has been uh, prostituted or that there it's a woman or or anybody coming out of this <laughs> life. I know that um, for people that I know, tra- uh, there's been trauma therapy has been really really important and not right away either. Like not the minute you recover, mm-hmm. but after you start to feel safe and and you um, which I don't know how that happens without you, but we can assume that mm-hmm. maybe somewhere out there that happens when they start to address this problem. Is there anything that you've seen that's really helpful? Because in my mind, I always like when I talk about this, I talk about it and to parents who don't understand, I would kind of equate this with being raped repeatedly. I mean, that's kind of yeah. if, because most people yeah. I would never do that. Well, what if you were raped repeatedly every day? That's the kind of trauma that these women are, are experiencing. Mm-hmm. And I know that EMDR, we've talked about that, that has been very mm-hmm. helpful. And so maybe yeah. if somebody can find you, they can look for mm-hmm. some sort of therapy. If you could just talk about that and how it's helpful. Yeah. I will say I was referred to EMDR therapy from other survivors of prostitution. They were like, look at, I, I, you know, engaged in this, in this type of um, trauma therapy, and it was very helpful for me, and I tried it, and I will tell you, it was a life changer for me, Um, and so we're actually, we just hired a new clinical director, and that's one of the things, she's getting certified in the NPR summer, because it's like such an important component of this, like, you know, like we talk, and you're right, it is like being raped repeatedly over and over and over again. It's funny because like we're doing all of this like education work with like young, young people about consent, right? And consent has to be freely given and it doesn't occur in a vacuum, right? But it's like only in prostitution do those rules change, right? So it's like consent can be purchased now, right? And it's like, no, it really can't be. And, 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 and rape is unwanted sex, right? And so, you know, just because you hand somebody $40 afterwards right. doesn't negate that, right? No. I mean, it's like, it is, it is that repeated complex over and over and over and over again every day, right? Um, and so EMDR therapy, uh, you know, I have found super helpful. I know many survivors that I work with across the country have found very helpful. Mm-hmm. And so I think getting at the root of like, you know, what like you know substances for many of us are a coping mechanism right like and and emdr therapy was able to give me other tools in my toolbox to use when i was feeling triggered or overwhelmed right um that i didn't have prior prior to doing it right um and so you know that is something that i would strongly encourage people that have survived prostitution um to give a try you know, um, also, I think connecting them with other survivors with lived experience, um, you know, I'll give you guys my our contact information for the drop in and our website and it's, it's really easy to get in contact with us and, you know, if you're not in our area, we'll find you somebody that is, you know, um, in your area to, to talk to you. Um, but, you know, I think all, most of this stems from trauma, right? Like we're talking about people that, you know, over 80% of people in prostitution were sexually abused as children, right? And then it's like, were exploited as teens before they were like, you know, experienced trafficking before they were even 18 years old. And then, you know, are using drugs and alcohol. And now we're in prostitution. So this is like complex, compounded trauma, right? Like, let's, okay. let's, you know. And so the real solution is to address the trauma. That's exactly what, what we need to talk about. And I'm not suggesting the recovery component isn't 
an important piece of it because it needs to be compounded, right? Because you can't do trauma work if you're smoking crack, right? Or, or using heroin, like it's just, you can't do them both at the same time, right? Yeah. And so for us, it was like creating a model within Jonas Place where we can, we have a, a clinician, we have um, individual treatment plans for people, we have case management and support, we have survivor mentors, we have a clinician, we actually have um, physicians that are providing MAT, like on site, like we have a medical exam room because also prostitute women have had horrific experiences with the medical community. Um, and so, you know, helping them to, you know, access all of those resources under one roof, right? Yeah. And then bring them to safe community partners. That's awesome. And I know that you're, you're, you are a nonprofit as well, right? So you fund, yeah, we are. do you fundraise by any chance? Do you need donations of any of money or any kind of material donations? Yeah. So we can always, you know, so Jonas Place is, is sustained through um, a, a grant through the Bureau of Substance Addiction Program. Um, substance, sorry, BSA, you know, no, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a lot of our other programs, it's like you think about all of the extra things that it takes. I mean, we were just talking about it a moment ago, right? It's like getting your birth certificate, right? And it's like to get an ID, you need your birth certificate. Can't get your birth certificate without an ID, right? You need someone to bring into the registry. You don't have the money to do that. How do you get a job? You don't have any clothes. How are you going to get your job if you don't have money for a bus fare, right? So it's right. like all of these things, like just thinking about what it costs to help get one person on their feet and save the lives. You know what I mean? Um, so we are always looking, you know, we always are looking for financial support. That's something yeah. that like also we always need worthy to provide cause. the best. I think you're doing amazing work and I'm so grateful that you're out there doing it. And um, hopefully, you know, that hopefully more people will get this idea and you'll be able to grow this program and, and uh, into other areas. Cause I know this is very, very, much needed and so thank you very much i just adore you can i ask one quick question so mm -hmm. <clears throat> if i wanted to donate where would i go go to our website liftworcester.org that's l-i-f-t worcester.org and there's a, a donate button um we also have a sustainer program where you can make a um, continued monthly donation we're also having our annual um ended event which is like we're working to end prostitution that's our our mission on april 4th there's information about that um on our website tickets just went up for sale we we sold out very quickly last year which was very exciting um and honoring people that have been like significant allies in this work um to end prostitution so um thank you for having me you know i appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to talk about the work we're doing and the needs of survivors in our community so thank you thank so you. needed thank you for joining us i really appreciate you explaining this program to me and to our listeners and I, I hope that somebody that's listening right now that may have been affected or maybe just interested in helping um will go on the site and donate and do what they can to try to help somebody that's trying to get out of this life get out of this life and help you continue with your cause and Thank you for putting up with my obnoxious voice today. I appreciate that. <laughs> and um, Excellent. All well, right, thank great. you so much. It was very nice to have you on. And I'll make thank sure that all, the, all this information is in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Right. And hopefully thank I can get, I'd love to get out there and see you soon too. Yeah. yeah. I would love that. You know, um, and also, can I just add something? Of course. You know, in addition to like financial support, also like, you know, I think one of the things that is really underrated is like, you know, 
we always want to learn from survivors and learn from people in recovery. And there are skills that community members can offer us too, right? So it's like, you know, if there's a skill that like people like, you know, would like to share or with like the women of John's place that they think would be beneficial to them. Like we have an artist that's coming in and doing art workshops or someone to come in and teach PowerPoint and, and Microsoft Outlook and things like that. Like those are things that we need to be able to get on our, our, our feet and learn these things, to be employable again, to, you know, so also like thinking about, it's not just financial contributions, right? It's like contributions of people's time as well. Um, and so thinking about that as well. Well, thank you for sharing that. And again, if any of our listeners are in, in uh, have the ability to do that, I would love it. I imagine they can contact you through that same website. Yeah. What's that website yeah, again? Liftworcester.org. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to make sure we hit them with it a couple times. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Maureen. All right. All right. I'll see you soon. All right. Bye-bye.